Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer. This episode is brought to you by our investigative platform Noteworthy, where we carry out journalistic projects based on ideas sent to us by the public. I'm Susan Daly, and recently we published the findings of an investigation by a reporter Niall Sargent into delays with autism assessments for children as well as looking into what is causing these long waits for assessment. For some, the wait has been years. Niall has heard from families and children on the deep impacts that these delays are having on them. And what is the state doing to sort out this devastating situation? Well, to find out, I'm joined today by Niall and also Eleanor McSherry, a lecturer and head of autism studies at University College Cork. Eleanor is also a parent of a 24-year-old autistic son. She's co-founder of the Special Needs Parents Association of Ireland and was also herself recently diagnosed as autistic. Thanks for coming onto the podcast, both of you. Now, Eleanor, there are a lot of perceptions and misperceptions out there, which I think we should address at the top of this conversation. And you are so well-placed to make us better informed. So could you tell us about autism and what it means to be an autistic child or person in Ireland today? Yeah, thank you. Um, it's well, there's two ways of viewing autism nowadays. There's the medical way of viewing it where it's seen as a, a, neuro, a neurodevelopmental disorder and full of deficits. Um, but there is now a, a sociological movement called neurodiversity, which is an umbrella concept which covers um, all the diversity, all human diversity and, and neurodiversity, and also views autism as not purely medical issues, but also a lifelong condition. And it's about empowerment and positivity and creativity and looking at, at how somebody is able what are the things they can do rather than the things they can't do? Um, in Ireland at the moment, the neurodiversity movement is growing. So the, the perception about autism is changing. Um, unfortunately, in the state and state bodies and in the system, that view is being stifled in a lot of ways and they're trying to catch up. And unfortunately, they're not there yet. Um, I think there's a lot being done, but I think there's a lot to be done. We hear you, Eleanor, on that for sure. And also on what you're saying about the important way to empower and enable autistic people, particularly with children, early intervention. Niall, will you explain why this is so important when it comes to supporting children in this way? Like what ideally should early intervention look like? I think ideally for early intervention, you want to be getting in, obviously, as early as possible when the first signs are there that you, you know, may have an autistic child and you want to reach out for the required supports that they might need. I think it's important to say it's obviously not a prerequisite or, or, or required necessarily for an autistic person to have an early assessment, to have a fulfilling life. As Eleanor was saying, we, you know, with, there are certain elements within uh, within the autistic community that it's it, some people feel it's not necessarily required to have, but it can assist in having a fulfilling life in terms of particularly for the child, uh, helping them to better understand who they are, understanding how their brain works. I think it's important as well for parents to understand the behaviours and needs of having a neurodiverse child, that they can understand that, you know, there isn't something wrong with their child. Their child just has different requirements and different needs and that they can react in a better way to their child. The more important part, I suppose, is on the state side. 
So getting access to the services and supports that might be required um, in terms of maybe mobility, if there's speech issues, social anxiety issues, concerns around social skills and building relationships for autistic people. Um, it all depends on the specific needs of the child. And I suppose you require that early intervention and understanding to know what those needs are and be able to provide them. And this is obviously especially important on the educational side. Because the earlier you can understand the child, the better the supports can be in place for when they do go to school. If you understand all those needs of the child before they enter the educational setting, you can set it up much, much better for them. So those would be the core advantages of understanding uh, autistic children earlier in, in their development. And Eleanor, I mean, you're the expert here from your own family experience, but also having worked with so many families through the Special Needs Parents Association of Ireland you would know firsthand the importance of early intervention for autistic children and their families. Are people getting it? What does it look like? Yeah, the the difficulty at the moment is that while some people are getting early intervention, it's very, very patchy. It's geographically, uh, it's a geographical lottery. And the difficulty is early intervention is so uh, important for lifelong mental health um, in education and social, as Niall was saying, but also for, for well-being of the family as well. It's not just if you've one person with who's autistic in a household, they affect everybody in the household. Um, you know, I have three sons and for 20 years I've had to fight for one son. Um, you know, and my other two children, you feel sorry for them in some ways and people are very very uh, good at telling you uh, when they say oh well you're always talking about the one child what about your other two children and unfortunately there's an expectation when your child starts school they're going to get everything that they need and all the help that they need and that's just not the case um, I'd like to say in the 20 years when my son was diagnosed at five he got early intervention and it was fantastic but when he transitioned to second level it was like he fell, he fell off the planet and um, the resource has suddenly disappeared it was like you know the autism was gone but it wasn't gone you know so you know early intervention is is fantastic when you can get it and i have seen the benefits of it because my son is strong in his identity he's a positive person he's a happy happy person within himself but i've seen children at the other side of it when they don't get early intervention their parents are like they're going to um ptsd and that the child has mental health issues anxiety terrified of school, self-harm, suicidal ideation, because they did not get the help and the care that they deserve as a citizen of Ireland. So early intervention is vitally important. And yes, you can get through life without it. I'm proof of that. But what are the scars that are left? And I know I have scars and I know plenty of people who have scars. Is it worth not doing it when we know we can provide it? The impacts there, Eleanor, are so clear. And Niall, Eleanor mentioned the geographical inequity in accessing services and early intervention. Um, to access those things, we're looking at something called an assessment of needs and there's massive delays with them. And that's the core of what we're talking about today. What did you find when you looked into this is happening for most families across the country? Uh, unfortunately, for most families and children, there are massive delays in terms of the autism assessment process, uh, irrespective of which avenue people are going down to try to seek that that uh, intervention or that assessment. You know, there's thousands of people on the assessment need waiting list, but that's just one one facet of it. All the families we spoke to are waiting for a long, long time. Some of them 
for years for assessments. One family we spoke with first identified autistic traits within their child at nine months of age, and it was until six years of age that they received any form of assessment. Other families waiting similar time periods, some some waiting over six months up to a year, some like that for several years. And exactly what Eleanor described there is the sort of stress and anxiety that the children and the parents face, especially they're being passed from one waiting list to another in many cases, which obviously heightens that frustration, that anxiety. But then on top of it, the financial burden, many end up going for private services while they're waiting for the state or the HSE to take actions. And like I said, it's not just the AON, the assessments of need, all channels that people try to go down to, they're facing they're facing major, major delays. So geographically across the country, everyone is in the same unfortunate situation of of, of waiting a long time to, to get the children, their children, the needs that they deserve. That's an incredible delay. And Eleanor, when a family does get an assessment of need, not to overstate maybe the importance of it, but it is important. What can a family do with an assessment of need when it's completed? Well, what happens with the assessment of need, it sets out um, all of the things that the child would need in interventions in the health area. And um, so that basically gives you a list of what your child needs and it should be reviewed every two years. Now, this again puts you on another waiting list. So even once you get through the assessment of needs and, and perhaps you get the help that you need, unfortunately, we never had an assessment of needs. It wasn't as robust as it is now because we were prior to it but from from listening to parents and I put the word out on Twitter about this the other day so this is one of the questions I want to hear what you have to say about it and some parents said oh it's fantastic we had you know all the resources in our area so we access them quite quickly but then other parents are saying well in our area no that wasn't the case there was no occupational therapist another person said the occupational therapist was on maternity leave but there was nobody covering their work so there is still this lack of services once you get through the assessment to need. And as you can imagine, if you're waiting months to get through the assessment to needs, you have your list, you think this is great. Now I'm on to the next level. Everything is going to be sorted. And then to see I'm on another waiting list or I'm waiting and things aren't where they should be. And 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 remember, at the end of the day, autism is a lifelong condition. So, you know, a child of six has very, very different needs from a 13 year old. And, and once young people reach 13, they have mental health needs, they have hormones, they have everything and their needs change. So it has to be reviewed. And if it's not reviewed on time, you could be waiting a long time to get the services that really suit the child at that particular age. That's a great point, Eleanor. I mean, none of us is the six-year-old child that we were and obviously the need for those reviews, it's more assessment. And we know as well from previous investigation, we've done a noteworthy on progressing disability services. The rollout of those is hugely thwarted by the lack of availability of um, qualified personnel in all of the areas that you describe. And Niall, talking about the assessment of need there, some listeners who are really invested in this topic will have seen the recent RT Investigates programme which looked at, I suppose they looked at the lack of regulation in the private psychology sector because families seem to be driven there when they're in precarious situations. They're on this waiting list. They're not getting any help and they feel they have to resort to getting private assessments. And we're not entirely sure that these are always um, from people who are fully qualified. And then what stood out to me in your report, Niall, on the other side is that the HSE is repeatedly stating that the assessment of need 
isn't required for people to get support, or children to get support. Is that really the case? I mean, I think these families would say that wasn't their experience. That's a really good question and a really good point, Susan, because technically the HSE are correct that, you know, you don't require the assessment of need. There are other avenues you can go down. But again, the importance of the assessment of need is that deadline, that legally required deadline, even if the HSE, you know, hasn't been meeting it on quite a lot of occasions. Um, parents have recourse then if they need to, to go through legal avenues with the other the other processes, assessments going through like a public a doctor, a public health nurse and going through that process, there's massive delays there. But again, if you don't necessarily go down this process, if you don't get the diagnosis in this way, you're not necessarily getting all the supports, especially on the educational side. So that's a really important point that there are certain educational supports and even welfare supports as well that you do require the official diagnostic assessment process and diagnosis from the HSE or through a private side accepted by the HSE. And often the assessment of need is the best process to go through that channel and to get it in a timely manner or as, as, as soon as possible. I mean, this is recognised through us as well by we spoke with Minister Anne Rabbit, the Min- Minister of State for Disabilities, and she said there you know, it needs to be a clear clearer message and clearer joined up thinking of that understanding that you have one side of the state authority saying, well, you don't really necessarily need it. And then on the educational side and the welfare side saying, well, actually, you really do need to go through this process and get the get the diagnosis in this particular manner for us to be guaranteed you're going to get those supports. As with a lot of things in the health system, and I think most people have personal experience of one way or the other. You have to have it in writing, uh, otherwise it's not happening. So, Niall, from your findings, we can just go very concrete on this. What is causing this slow response from the HSE where we have such long waiting lists? Like, what is going on? How long do you have, Susan? I mean, uh, there's a whole there's a whole range of things. I think we all understand within the health service executive and the health service in general, there's chronic lack of resources. Uh, and staffing issues across the board. I mean, that's that's fairly well established in, in various committees and reports. And this definitely has an impact on this this side of things. Another factor that I suppose isn't spoken about as frequently or as often, because maybe it's a little more technical or less understood, is the, is the data availability or the poor data breakdown of the geographic needs in terms of autism assessments and autistic children and where they are across the country and where those needs are required. So essentially, the different regional units of the HSE are beating to their own drum. And, you know, this has been the Minister of State for Disabilities, as Anne Rabbit outlined similar concerns to us about a lack of joined up thinking that they all have different sort of methods and ways of 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 dealing with their their backlogs and their processes. There's a lot of information that's still on pen and paper. There's no centralized system to have all the data in place of the needs and requirements, and it's not necessarily been shared more broadly within the state. So it makes it very difficult to know exactly where your staffing resources are required into the future, looking ahead to where those needs would be. So we're at that point now, but we've been at that point for a long time. And that's why you get into a situation where families are not just waiting for the assessments, as Eleanor said, even after getting a diagnosis and that, I suppose, somewhat joyous moment or relief moment of, of getting the diagnosis. Families are telling us it's like jumping the last hurdle in a race only to have this brick wall placed before you at the finish line because you're on to another round of waiting lists for 
if it's required speech and language therapy, occupational therapy, psychological supports, uh, physiotherapy supports, what it may, what, whatever it may be within the school system as well. And one of the big reasons is that is because historically we haven't known exactly where the needs are required. And then even if the funding is coming in, we might not know exactly is the best place to put it. I think that whole data exercise, the lack of joined up thinking has been a real stumbling block for, for quite some time now. And unfortunately, it's it's the families and, and, and autistic children who pay the price at the end of the day. Eleanor, you stood up in front of the Oireachtas Committee on Autism, well, so to speak, and was able to talk to them about these issues and point out that these issues could have been resolved a long time ago. Could you elaborate on that for us, please? Yes. Um, in 2001, um, the Irish state brought together all the top experts on autism and families and autistic people and charities and everything together to in a, an autism task force. And they wrote a document that had recommendations in it. And it was primarily looking at education, but it had two chapters on how education fed into health. And all of the issues we're talking about today are in it. So that's a 22-year-old document. Now, we're very, very good in this country about writing documents. Implementation is our biggest issue. So one of the things, even what Niall was saying there about um, figures, there was supposed to, they looked for um, an advisory and training support service, a regional ASD educational plan and advisory service um, that would have been outside of the NCSE and CNOS and things like this. And in this document, they talked about CNOS and the NCSE and NEPS, all of the things that are happening now came from this document. But we, we picked uh, out particular areas of it to implement. I mean, things in this document that I particularly would like to just highlight, and I, I didn't get a chance to highlight it in the Oireachtas, so you're getting this um, for free, um, medical cards for families. Uh, not just the person who's autistic because families have difficulties themselves that they can't pay for because they're paving, paying for private services for their child. Counselling for families at the point of diagnosis, massive, massive big deal. But the training in the advisory service and also an autistic database. For years, all of the autistic charities have called for an autistic database to get an idea of the numbers. We have it for other areas within the health system, uh, cancer treatments, all of these, we have exact numbers you can tell. So we can plan. We can't forward plan at the moment. We knew this 22 years ago. You know, my son was only um, two, nearly three years old at that stage. So we knew this that long ago and we did, we've done nothing about it. So we know where the problems are. We constantly know where the problems are. It's choosing to actually grasp the nettle and just make a commitment. It will cost us money in the, in the short term, but the long term benefits to the whole community and to the whole island is just immeasurable. You know, we, we, we constantly put money into things that I just makes no sense to me. And, but this will reap benefits for families and for Irish citizens. And I think it's worth the money and the effort to put into it. Thanks, Eleanor. That is the best synopsis I think we could hope for with this. And it's a shocking indictment of a lack of action over two decades now to resolve the issue when the resolutions are there. Niall, are there any positive developments to look forward to where some of this is being implemented? Eleanor referenced a few there. I think there is a, obviously a long way to go. There's a there's a steep ladder to climb, but I think there are positive signs, you know, in, in speaking with the Minister of State for Disabilities, Anne Rabbit, 
you can see she's very hands-on. The feedback I've received from several families is, you know, there is some positive elements they feel there uh, with her. She has pushed and got a, a good bit of an extra chunk of budget for this this area. She explained to us her plan for a much more holistic approach that would actually really push the HSE to get on board with you know, having a joined up system, having a centralized data system that can be shared across different agencies to understand the needs, um, having regional units uh, in terms of for, for autism assessments and then the supports afterwards. So a much more holistic and joined up thinking in that way. And they'd all be communicating with each other is her plan. So that's quite in line with a lot of things that have been asked for. You have an Oireachtas committee now on autism that is saying, you know, obviously very strong things. I think doing the best they can or trying to take the HSE to task in some way and definitely giving a strong platform for the autistic community. You, of course, have the autistic community uh, and support groups across the country who are really continuing to bang the drum and they're doing everything they can to support autistic children, what they need from, you know, um, events for play centers, for whatever needs that need to be provided. There are families across the country who are doing everything they can there to get this thing right um so i think there it, it, it's positive in that sense and the way that way of direction that the families are still there putting the pressure on and if you have the right minister in place or if you have the iraq this committee hopefully saying the right things and pushing for the right recommendations hopefully something can go in the positive direction on on this one eleanor you're forefront of this you're looking at this from all sides for a long time now how do you feel about that? Are you confident for the future of this? Do you think things are moving? I mean, you were personally, as I said, in the chambers making the case here. I wish I was confident. There's no point, I think, in having the right minister when we still have the same senior civil servants. Um, until you have them on board, nothing will ever change. I've been through 10 ministers now, either of disability or education, who've shook my hand and who are saying the right things and are doing the right things. We've had three or four strategies, a couple of goes at an autism bill. So I'm sorry, I'm not really confident. I've been here before. Um, I've been burnt by the same, you know, hope. But I, I do have hope because I believe our kids are absolutely fantastic. And I have a feeling that until one of them is the minister and the minister of tomorrow. And I think that they will be the people who are who will make the changes because they're there. They're now they're going through mainstream education. They're going through college and they will be the changers rather than who's here now. And they're the people who I have confidence in. Thank you so much, Eleanor. Really appreciate your time and all your advocacy on this. And thanks, Niall, too, for coming and joining and telling us what you found in your investigation. It is clear that there is money there if the state will spend it as it should do and that the solutions have been signposted for years and families and advocates determined to put their concerns at the feet of policymakers. But as Eleanor said, will the right minister be backed up by the backroom office to achieve results? We'll have to keep the pressure on and see. You have been listening to The Explainer, brought to you by Noteworthy.ie. It was produced by Laura Byrne. If you want to learn more about our work at Noteworthy and how we source our stories from you, our readers and listeners, head to our site at Noteworthy.ie and sign up to our newsletter, which gives you an insider look at our latest investigations by visiting Noteworthy.ie forward slash newsletter. Thanks for having us and see you next time. <laughs>